This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, heartbreak for the Matildas at the Football World Cup. James Harden's a fucking diva again. <laughs> Took Miller's a squirrel looking for some nuts. And what's the time, Ricardo 10? A favourite old segment and a brand new one too. Let's go. It's 7.18 in WA on Thursday the 17th of August and 9.18 in Queensland. And I say that, of course, That's because... Nine, you... No, 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 9.19. No. Changed. <laughs> 9.19. Oh, the run had to come to an end eventually where the time would tick over while I was talking. How you doing, mate? Your your little Sunshine State run has nearly come to an end. i got to say, this has maybe been the least we've spoken in a fortnightly period in the whole time we've done the podcast. Oh, it's probably the least we've spoken in a fortnight in probably 25 years, I reckon. <laughs> Yeah, not been a whole heap going on in, in terms of the communications. It's been an interesting time here in Brisbane. I mean, we finally had some rain today after two solid weeks of probably 25, 27 degrees every day. It was uh, certainly nothing to complain about. Now, of course, we'll get to the biggest news in Australian sport and maybe the world at the moment. Shortly, the FIFA Women's World Cup final is set. Sadly, it doesn't feature the Matildas, but they can all hold their heads up very high after a superb semi-final appearance. Our best finish yet in a World Cup. Bit of basketball and footy today too, and some silliness to follow the frivolity of our last episode Christmas in July. But first, opening kickoff. Yeah, good call with opening kickoff because mine actually does relate to a football stadium, also a cricket stadium, I guess, in the Gabba. Uh, drove past the Gabba today, and from the outside, I have to say, it's a little bit disappointing. So if you look at places like the MCG and Optus, the thing I love about them is that not only are the insides of the stadiums really impressive and have that real sort of cauldron feel to them, but the outside areas, you know, if you go around the G or you go around Optus, there's those big expanses of pathways and parklands and all that sort of stuff. The Gabba's kind of surrounded by roads on a couple of sides. There's a school on another side and there's this tiny park out the front and not really much else. And it just kind of feels like it's been plonked down right in the middle of the city with no real thought given to where it was. And now, admittedly, haven't been there on game day. I could have gone to the Lions and Crows on the weekend. I underestimated how good a match that was going to be. But it just, I don't know, it doesn't, yeah. It just doesn't have that same feel to it that the G and, and Optus and probably other stadiums. I think Adelaide Oval looks quite impressive from outside. I don't know. It just doesn't have that same feel to it. Oh, yeah. Adelaide Oval is beautiful. Yeah, no, I've never been to the Gabba. I'm hoping we might do a, a little SCG tour when we're in Sydney next month. But, uh, yeah, okay. There yeah. you go. There you go. Now, the other thing I did want to just quickly mention, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a match between Jessica Pegula and Igish Firetech during the week. Now, middle of the second set tiebreak, about 4-3, I think it was, and Pegula's put up this massive lob, and all of a sudden, Cotton Eye Joe by Redneck started blaring through the speakers. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, it's an absolute banger, but, you know, place and time. Like, I did see a pretty good call in the YouTube comments by a guy named Scott Cantlay. He said, if it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd have won this set a long time ago. Which I thought was pretty clever. <laughs> oh, genius. So, yes, very interesting uh, sort of thing to say. And not, certainly not something I've seen before, something going that loud right in the middle of a, a really key point in a set as well. So, yeah, how about yourself? What have you got? Well, for me this week, I'll kick off with some people who arrived late to our own late Christmas in July party from last episode that we didn't cover. There'll be some other stuff that will come up in the, the soccer footy and the basketball, but I did want to kind of touch on a few other things. Now, they don't necessarily get presents because they were latecomers, but some weird and wonderful stories since we last recorded, and I'll spin it on its head, obviously, 
we normally finish with the nice, but I've got to start with the nice this time because there's two really nice ones. So obviously the Women's World Cup in the soccer has got a lot of attention, but another one has flown under the radar a little bit and we were winners. So congratulations to the Aussie Diamonds who defeated England 61 to 45. Do you want to guess how many Netball World Cups the Aussie team have won? Seven. Twelve. Damn it. Yeah, pretty good, hey? Pretty impressive. Mm. Uh, and this was nice revenge over the Poms who had beaten us by one goal earlier in the tournament, uh, but were definitely no match in the final. And Diamond's second biggest win in World Cup history. So well done to them. Yeah, look, I mean, they're, they're an incredible team. Obviously, netball's an interesting one. It's one of those sports where it's kind of dominated by a very few, but at the same time, you still do have to turn up in the English side, the Kiwi side. I think the Jamaican side are all you know, pretty decent, but uh, yeah, once again, too strong. By all reports, Jamaica's getting better and better too. So I think world netball is improving, but yes, no, you're absolutely right. Now, my other nice was the Los Angeles Dodgers. They've re-signed outfielder Andrew Tolls. Now, he hasn't played since 2018, and he may never play again, but they've done it so that he can get on the team's health insurance and mental health services, because unfortunately, the team was alerted to an issue in 2019 when he didn't report to spring training, and later the team found that he was sleeping behind a FedEx building at Key West International Airport, and it was because he's got schizophrenia, so it had some really troubling times, and had some really tough years. So a massive hats off to them because that is a very nice act indeed to keep him on their their medical, uh, no salary cap, of course, in baseball, but still a very, a very nice gesture. Yeah, there's been a few things similar to that. Maybe not so much, obviously, with the schizophrenia side of things, but I've certainly heard reports. I think we did one in a This Week in Sports a while ago where, uh, what was his name? Satchel Page, I think it was, where they, they signed him to a one-day contract basically, so that he could do the same thing and get those benefits. Yeah, it rings a bell. Yeah. We stick with baseball as I move to my naughties. Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson were a bit naughty in the Guardians versus White Sox game that ended in a massive brawl and made a lot of news over there. Well, it made news around the world. It was a couple of weeks ago now. It was an interesting little one. There was one particular shot that looked like it kind of just clipped the side of, I think it was the side of his ear. And I think it was Anderson, yeah, went down like a sack of spuds. Another potential naughty stew is Sean and Lee and Tui. Now, have you heard about this one? No, doesn't ring a bell. Well, have you heard of the movie The Blind Side and Michael Orr, who played for the Baltimore Ravens and won a Super Bowl with them? Of course, yes. No, I have heard about this one, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't give you a lot of information there, did I? But he's claiming that they tricked him into signing away his legal authority to use his name in business deals after the age of 18. He's filed a 14-page petition basically saying that their conservatorship to make themselves and their birth children millions of dollars in royalties from the 2009 movie starring Sandra Bullock, among others, was a bit of dodginess. So that's one to keep an eye on too. Yeah, I'd kind of seen sort of snippets of this. I'd heard that Orr had come out and said something and I'd seen that the family had clapped back and tried to tell their side of the story, saying they were a little bit disappointed. But yeah, I'll tell you what, if it comes out that this isn't true and this this whole thing is just a load of bullshit, then, uh, oh, I mean, I don't know what the steps are, really. Well, it'd be a lot of money in uh, restorative damages is what I would imagine, but it could be a lengthy legal process. Apparently, People Magazine reporter Abigail Adams has dug up an old episode of a show called Below Deck where they, some of the things they say is a little bit on the nose. So maybe uh, maybe Michael Orr's the one to believe at this stage, but I think more water to go under that bridge. Or, or water, you mean? Ah, very good. Yes. Another naughty I've got is Khadija Aden Dahir, the auntie of Nasra Ali Abu Bakar. Now, the reason she's naughty 
is, well, I think there's been some dodgy nepotism. Now, I don't know if you heard about this race at the FISU World University Games in Chengdu, China. But, yeah, okay. So, Nazra finished the race 21.81 seconds in the 100 metres, some 10 seconds behind the heat's winner, and six seconds slower than the 15.26 second slowest time recorded at the last Olympics for the women's 100-metre dash. According to NBC News, the Association of Somali Universities reported that it did not send any runners to the event. And so Ms. Khadija Aden Dahir, the chairwoman of Somali Athletics Federation, and I quote, has engaged in acts of abuse, of power, nepotism, and defaming the name of the nation in the international arena. It has been identified that Nazra Abukar Ali is not a sports person or a runner. Mate, I think the the only thing to look at here is if I could beat someone running 100 metres, you're definitely not a runner. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so she's definitely naughty. I don't know what present she would get, but uh, yeah. So so some other naughties, and obviously go back and listen to our Christmas in July episode. Now, I did have one more, but you had it on your list for bloody hell. And funnily enough, I wrote this one would be good enough for bloody hell. So let's save it. We'll have that soon. I think so. I should also mention before we get on to the soccer, or perhaps this is a perfect segue into the soccer, that Steph Catley still hasn't been claimed. Unfortunately, Elise Perry didn't get in touch. So if anyone in Perth does want a wonderful little kitten, please do get in touch with us. But yes, obviously her name's not Steph Catley, but that would have been a obvious name to have chosen. We've uh, thrown some other ones around over the last few episodes. Mate, that's an absolute cracker. I'm very disappointed that we didn't come up with that. I mean, look, Sam Purr was pretty good. That's next level. Yes, well, I guess uh, we we now... Well, let's talk about it. There's several more players that are now household names, aren't they? Sam Kerr, once upon a time, was perhaps the only one to most people. But now you can add Caitlin Ford, Mary Fowler, Mackenzie Arnold. There's this... Yeah, there's all sorts, aren't there? Yeah. I mean, this has obviously been an event that has just really captured the imagination of so many Australians and so many people across the world as well. I mean, obviously, a Football World Cup is massive. But, yeah, I can certainly never remember a Matildas team getting anywhere near the attention that this team has. And obviously, any time you make a semi-final in a World Cup, that's a pretty decent reason too. But, yeah, just uh, they've exceeded all expectations from anyone as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. Breaking ratings records. I mean, the I think once they've done the final stats, because it's been less than or about 24 hours... I think we might find that that rated higher than Kathy Freeman's 400 metres at the 2000 Olympics, which is one of the, the great rating sports events of all time here in Australia. So it's just going from strength to strength. So they're breaking ratings records first versus Denmark. By the way, we did some similar shenanigans in, in that match uh, that we talked about with the Dutch team in Naughty and Nice in episode 161, our last one. But anyway... The Matildas have more followers on Instagram. That happened during the French match, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and basically, the the ratings went up every match the last three matches. So I love this tweet from Dylan Orcott after the France match. My God, that was the closest I've ever been to standing up. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Good sense of humour there. And I also liked another tweet or X from Greg Baum who said, it had to be a sub that sunk the French. Oh, wow. (laughs) And that's referencing, of course, the uh, ridiculously long penalty shootout. And that's obviously referencing Courtney Vine, who finished off that penalty kick for us. The longest penalty shootout in either a men's or women's World Cup. 7-5. 
Yeah, it was a really interesting one. So for me, I was uh, out and about doing work. Unfortunately, I was scoping out a few restaurants and wandering around the city of Brisbane. There were just hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people out and about the Aussie fans everywhere and the Colombian fans came in afterwards for their match and uh, just an amazing experience and unfortunately for me I I got back about halfway through the shootout so I did get to see the exciting sort of culmination of it all but uh, yeah would have liked to have seen the whole thing from start to finish if I could have. Yeah it's a fantastic match and we went to the pub or two different pubs for both the quarter and the semi and just the atmosphere was just magnificent it really was and when you think about the amount of people and I'll tell you what they were packed in like sardines yesterday I was lucky I got a park I missed the first seven minutes but the ratings I mean the ratings will be even higher if they factored in all the people watching at pubs like we did. Yeah, well, you of all people should have been watching from home, mate, being a, uh, a Matthew Nielsen family. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny those reports, Shui. Uh, yes, that is true. Maybe you're not. <laughs> but but that's absolutely true. There would have been a lot of people that do have ratings boxes that would not have been watching at home. It's just so good to see the entire nation get behind this team. It's great for women's sport. It's great for soccer. And... God, you can't help but think that maybe in two cycles time, all of the little young girls that grew up watching this could be playing for the team. Fingers crossed. I did actually hear something on the radio as I was driving around today. Apparently at the peak, that was, I think it was 11 million viewers. And when you consider how many people would have been sitting in pubs and restaurants all over our beautiful country, the amount to get to 11 million, that obviously would equate to so many more. So yeah, it was uh, certainly... We talk about the Melbourne Cup being the race that stops the nation. It doesn't stop me, obviously. I hate no. thing, but this was certainly <laughs> the game that, that stopped the nation for us. And uh, yeah, just an incredible effort. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that at least half of the entire population was watching, but probably maybe even more. So it's just remarkable, isn't it? And did you hear that even in the US, so their team got record viewership at home and they had games on at like 3am and stuff. So the highest ever ratings for an overnight game. So really impressive just for the entire tournament. And they've expanded the field, obviously. So every reason to believe that the next one will be even bigger and better. Obviously, there's a final to still be played. I don't know if you'll be watching. I won't. I'll go back to not giving a shit about soccer for the next three and a half years or so. But uh, I have every reason to believe it'll be a good one. Yeah, look, I think England will probably win. But much like every other Australian, I will certainly be sitting here saying Viva España. (laughs) I'm not sure the 3-1 scoreline belied the closeness of the match. Obviously, England were the better team and did look better. But obviously, that really late goal blew out the scoreline a little bit. But I thought we came out in the second half really well. And I I don't think there's any coincidence that we played a lot better at the start of the second half when Ford and Fowler came out a lot better in the start of the second half as well. Because I thought they were a little bit down, the two absolute stars of the tournament. For the Matildas, I thought they were a little bit down in that first half there. And Fowler in particular, I thought, started that second half really well with some really deft touch. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, I certainly think the scoreline was probably quite fair in the end. And the reason I would say that is if you look at certainly the the polish that the English players had, they were very, very polished on the ball. A, a lot of these sort of one-touch triangles, keeping the ball away from our girls, they were clinical in front of goal when the opportunities came up, they took them. And defensively, right across the entire tournament so far. They have been so incredibly difficult to get past. And I kind of wanted to sum a couple of these things up. Well, one Certainly one with, the, with a stat and then another one with kind of an observation that I've made. And so if you look at the dominance of the English possession, I want to run you through the five games they've played so far, the differential in possession that they've had so far. So 
First game against Denmark, they led the possession 71 to 29, which is obviously a massive, massive dominance. Yeah, wow. 74-26 against China, which is even bigger. Nigeria came back a little bit, 57-43. Colombia, 61-39. And versus Australia, 59-41. And I dare say in the first half, it probably would have been somewhere in the vicinity of high 60s to low 30s. So in terms of them dominating possession and holding onto the ball, those stats obviously say a lot. Given that Lauren James was uh, stamping on Michelle Alozi, I'm surprised that the possession was a bit more balanced in that one. Yeah, and, and that's another thing to take into account is the fact that they were missing one of their best forwards for that game and also for the Colombian game after being suspended. So that certainly tells you how good this English side is, that they can lose one of their best players for two of the game, like the big games and still come out on top. The other thing, though, that I did kind of want to talk about, as I said before, about them defensively being just so difficult to get past. Obviously, we saw the goal that Sam Kerr kicked, an absolute worldie. That goal, like the quality of that, to take that on from that far out, finish in you know, nearly the top corner, is just incredible. That is the third goal, though, that England have conceded in five matches, three total. And wow. when you consider the other two was a penalty against China, they were already up 3-0. And it was a, a fairly close range handball. And the other one against Colombia was not far off being what Sam Kerr did. She's basically chipped the goalie from outside the box. So the goals that they've conceded have either been a penalty or two incredibly top shelf goals. There's none of this sort of scoring goals within the run of play. It's You're basically having to do something special to get past them. So their keepers great, their defenders are great, and that's where I think they'll probably beat Spain because they just don't concede goals. No shame losing to such a good team. You, you've summed that up perfectly, really, haven't you? And, and the thing is, like, if you look at Sam Kerr, obviously, yeah, as we said, brilliant goal, but I think she played 77 minutes coming into that game and had to play the full 90. She just clearly didn't have the conditioning to go. She missed an absolute sitter at 2-1 down late in yeah. the second half that she probably would have buried in her sleep. And... Yeah, as you said, not long after that, there was a late goal that kind of put it away as 3-1, and that's that. And that's why I think that third goal happened in some ways, because I think that we all knew that was the chance, and when we blew that chance, then it was it was always tough from there. And the thing is, like, the flip side, if you look at the goals that England scored, there were pretty decent mistakes on all three. So on the first goal, the ball back from Alicia Russo to Ella Toon should never have got through maybe four of our players. Like, that should have been sort of shut down and got rid of. The second goal, Ellie Carpenter made an absolute hash of a high ball coming through. Mackenzie Arnold, who I thought has had, you know, a pretty bloody good tournament in general, she didn't position herself particularly well. She was far too much to the right and gave Lauren Hemp an easy finish once she got possession of the ball. And then the third goal, we had England outnumbered four to two and we let Hemp run it all the way yeah. from inside her own half, about 30, 30 yards. And then she lays off this beautiful pass to Russo and it's 3-1. And at that stage, you look at it and you just say, well, you know, if you're going to make those sorts of mistakes defensively and let a team score on you two on four, it, it's just like, yeah, you're not going to win those games. Yeah, those last two were particularly tough, weren't they? Full credit to Mackenzie Arnold for having a great tournament, though, because she had a number of shutouts. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think we've ever had a shutout prior to this tournament. If, a, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sh I thought I heard that stat during, I think it was the Denmark game. So she had a number of, of shutouts. It's just such a shame that, as you say, there were some key errors in that semi-final match. And the, the thing is, though, Nath, like, I mean, obviously, you know, that's not to take anything away from the tournament that the girls had. Like, they obviously will be disappointed with how they played and certain moments where they maybe should have done a little bit better, been a bit more polished. I mean, there were certain crosses that 
usually they'd be putting straight into the path of a player flying in for a header and they were ballooning them over the top. But they did. They had a great tournament. As we said, they've inspired the youth of Australia to come through. And as you said as well, there's no shame in losing to... Okay, they're not the number one team in the world, but they're certainly playing like it right now. I think they've only lost one game out of their last 38, they said, and that was a, a game they lost to us. So... You know, they're a bloody good side, England, and they'll probably win the whole thing, and they deserve to. Oh, and they might go up to number one after that. I think the US team is going through a bit of transition, so I don't know if they'll stay at, at number one for a while. Or who knows? But uh, I'm no expert. <laughs> but no, there's absolutely no shame in losing to a better team. Speaking of the US, mate, what did you make of their results? It's funny, isn't it? So the US women's soccer team are probably the closest thing there is to the dream team of the early 90s in the basketball and, and how most Americans see how, how the basketball team should go. They, they I think that that country thinks that they're pretty much almost infallible and they should win every time they turn up. So I think it was it was quite a quite quite a, a wake-up call to many people particularly probably casual fans obviously I'm not even a casual fan but you know from from my following of it I watch first take a fair bit and, and those sort of shows uh listen to PTI all the time so yeah so I think a lot of people just expected them to just win and always win and so it's funny as well like they scheduled the games in a way so that it would be best for American audiences but then when they dropped a game in pool stages it meant that they had uh, harder run through the through the latter stages of the tournament, so they had some games that weren't so good for for the time difference. But uh, you know that's what happens when you lose. Yeah, well, this is it. And, and look, they were very lucky to even get through the knockout stage. I think they had a, a nil-all draw with Portugal. They were saved by a ball that hit the upright fairly late in the second half. They could easily have been knocked out before that, which would have been just catastrophic as far as, as, far as the US are concerned. I know we will talk about Megan Rapinoe or Rapinoe or however the hell she pronounces her name uh, a bit later on in this. I did find something very interesting, though. After that uh, that penalty shootout, they lost to Sweden. Did you see that with the ball crossed in line by a millimetre? Oh, mate, that was that was literally millimetre perfect. And someone has uh, changed the to make it look like the Swedish flag. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, I didn't see that. Like the ball over the line, you know how the, the blue and yellow? So, yeah, no, it was fantastic. Yeah. I actually saw a really great tweet by a guy named Zito, at underscore Zeets, who said, metric system finally takes America down. Yes, I did see that one, actually. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, there's some other funny stories. Did you hear about Barnaby Joyce watching a replay of our friendly against France instead of the actual game against France in the quarterfinals? And he put it all on social media. <laughs> oh, my God. What a dopey fuck. Yeah, so he was watching at this pub with a whole bunch of people and they had the wrong bloody match on. So I saw Adam Collins on X tweeted or, or X. How is... I'm still coming to terms with this. Anyway, this bloke was acting PM for about 50 days a year for a fair while there. Not, uh, yeah, not a great sign, is it? No. It's funny also, uh, back in the day, I don't know if you remember, the 2006 AFL Grand Final. I got a message from my mum at halftime. Were you at that one or were you working that day? I can't remember. But anyway, I got a message from my mum at halftime going, oh, yeah, things aren't so bad. I'm like, mum, like, what the hell? And it turns out that bloody Fox Sports were playing a replay of the previous year's grand final, the 2005 grand final, obviously the same two teams competing. And so she'd been watching on Fox the 2005 grand final because she's not even a sports fan. Like she was just doing it because she knew I was a big fan. So she was watching the wrong match. But like they shouldn't be brought. Why would you be broadcasting a match between two teams? when? Oh, man. So I had to say to her, no, mum, uh, you've got to put on Channel 10 
uh, I've started to drink myself into oblivion because we're playing like shit. Now, as we all know, we we nearly came back and had that match gone an extra couple of minutes, we probably would have won. But had the previous year's match gone an extra couple of minutes, you guys would have won. But uh, yeah, that was a pretty funny story there with Barnaby Joyce. Not a good look for a former I, acting PM. I have to say, Nath, I love the fact that you included the um, the extra little note that we would have probably won 05 if, if there'd been extra time. Those, honestly, yeah, they go back as probably the the greatest back-to-back grand finals certainly for, as a purist someone who enjoys you, you know those defensive struggles I'm not going to talk about that obviously but yes I was there for 06 05 I was at work ah so, that's yes, the one okay so are you oh that's all right so you're at the one you guys won oh that's good to see yeah yeah good times the other funny one was Tassie Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe saying that his state would not observe a public holiday if if it was to be awarded had we won. Now, of course, we didn't win in the end, but he then shared pictures of his family chat where his daughters were like, Dad, what the hell? Yes, of course we want a public holiday. <laughs> so that was I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> yeah. That was good. And the other thing I think, like, there's all these lovely stories. I remember seeing an uh, an ex. Someone wrote, um, "I can't, I can't call it an ex. It makes me feel like I'm talking about no. someone I've dated previously." No, it's a tweet. It's fucking like Elon Musk. Change, no, wait, yeah, fuck uh, you, Elon Musk. We're still calling it a tweet. You yeah. can get fucked. Anyway, yeah, uh, I saw I saw a tweet from someone saying, "Oh, you know, down at the local RSL, and and I hear two blokes talking about Mary Fowler and blah blah blah." You wouldn't have even imagined a couple of blokes knowing the people's names, let alone talking about it. And then there was a, a couple of a, a number of other cases where people have said, "Oh, my two sons are outside," and one was like, "I'll be Sam Kerr and you be Mary Fowler." And it's just so good. It's just, I mean, look, we love a winner here in this country. Or well, everyone loves a winner. It's just so fantastic. It, it, it's a bit field of dreamsy, isn't it, with women's sport? If you build it, they will come, and just. So proud of the girls, and obviously they'll be bitterly disappointed. It's less than 24 hours since it happened, but we're so proud of them, and we just can't wait bigger and better things. Who knows? Olympics next year might go even further. Yeah, look, you never know. Maybe Kevin Costner might be the the new coach by the time that comes around. (laughs) As long as it's not Piers Morgan. Oh, God. Now, Nath, I believe you've got an extra late naughty and nice in the soccer world. Is that correct? Oh, Stewie, I actually have two, but I can smell a new segment. In the court of public opinion, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The athletes, administrators, and media personalities who make questionable decisions, and the armchair critics, who most likely will have little discernible athletic talent, but will pass judgment anyways. These are their stories. Now, Stewie, we've got a full docket today. We've got four cases couple of soccer ones and we'll finish with a basketball which will segue into our basketball segment we've got an absolute doozy nfl as well but our first case on the docket stewie is timmy cahill for reposting pics of his own goals to support the matildas cahill posted a video or retweeted basically of his goal scoring antics with the caption happy matildas day judge stewie how do you rule guilty Absolutely guilty. <laughs> this, this is right up there. You, you might remember, cast your mind back to Michael Owen doing something similar when Emma Raducanu won that award and he posted a picture. Oh, this takes me back to when I won the award. It's like, dude, get over yourself. It's not about you today. Yes. Well, that one's even worse, isn't it? That one's that one was really bad. But it's like, guys, you get 99% of the sports media attention and then you try and suck that 1% by bringing yourself up a little bit narcissistic. I too rule guilty. I mean, if he was just posting a picture of himself wearing 
his Australian jersey or something, you know, something to to G the girls up, that's fine. But yeah, him scoring a goal, not really that relevant. No. Well, it's multiple goals. It was like a goals highlight package, if I'm not mistaken. So oh, that's yeah, even worse. I, didn't, I didn't actually see it. That's that's disgusting. Well, I didn't see it either. I only saw the article, but uh, yeah, no, not not good form from Tim Cahill. Now the next case on the docket is also soccer, Stewie, and it's uh, I have to say it in a Yankee accent. Megan Rapino, I, I just want to say Rapino in my normal voice, so I have to say Rapino. Anyway, she was seen smiling after missing her penalty kick against Sweden in what was the USA's eventual demise. How do you rule Judge Dewey? Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty, I'm going to say. And the reason I'm going to say this is in situations like that, okay, yes, I understand why the US public reacted the way they did, but you've also got to remember that in that moment, it's laugh or cry. And I think she's just chosen to almost look up with this incredulous look like, how the fuck has this just happened to me? And, and I actually think a smile is not, it's not the most unnatural sort of reaction to have. So I, I actually find her not guilty. Damn. Well, we're on the same page here. It's unanimous. I too rule not guilty. It's not unusual to have a nervous smile. We've all done it. And she explained afterwards that it was kind of almost ironic that this would be the end to her career, that someone who'd been so good at penalty kicks would miss that final one. So yeah, I think it's just... Obviously, she wasn't happy they lost. She They wanted to win, obviously. But as I said before in the previous segment, Americans just think that they should win every time they step onto a soccer pitch when it's the women's team. Do you know if the penalty's actually landed yet? She put it that far over the bar and wide. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Now, there, there was some old footage. Now, this has been a wonderful opportunity for people to pile on. I, I do find her to be a bit arrogant. I don't find her to be particularly... I don't know. I don't warm to her. And there is this old footage of a young boy, no less, if I'm not mistaken, going up to her at the ESPYs and trying to get a signature. And she signed it without even looking at him or acknowledging his presence. So I do rule her guilty on that one. But I think the statute of limitations might have really pushing the uh, legal puns here. But I think the statute of limitations might have passed on that one. Yeah. Look, she's she doesn't have the most endearing personality. And, and look, she certainly has... I guess, divided the nation with some of her takes. But I, I certainly, yeah, in this instance, I think her reaction, whilst it probably comes across as someone who just doesn't give a shit, I, I think it's perfectly normal and perfectly natural. No, I agree. I agree. Not guilty. Now, our next case. Oh, man, this is a doozy. Now, Colin Coward, did you ever watch The Herd in that brief time it was on ESPN or did you ever listen to him or have you? are you very familiar with him? No, nah, not, not particularly. So he gave a big, long... Oh, look, I don't mind the guy. He's okay. He's. I don't agree with everything he says. There's worse out there. But he, on his... I guess it's both the radio and TV show, I think. Is it still called The Herd? Anyway, whatever it was on, he had a giant list of quarterbacks who can't win the Super Bowl, which included Dwayne Haskins. Now, fair enough. There's a number of people on the list. Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold... Mac Jones, Trey Lance, the list goes on and on. The only difference between them and Dwayne Haskins is that they're all still living. No shit, Dwayne, yeah, Haskins, Dwayne Haskins can't is... win a Super Bowl. Yeah. He's fucking dead. How do you rule, Stuart? Wow. I think this, well, oh, God, I nearly, I nearly said give Colin Coward the death penalty. That would have been even worse. It did cross oh. my mind, and the irony also crossed my mind. But 
as far as this segment is concerned, that's about as close as it gets to a figurative death penalty. Because, come on, man, as someone who's involved in sports media and does this hours a day, every day, has a team of researchers, that's really poor form. Well, I mean, this is the thing. Like, it's it, it's not like it happened 10 years ago. This happened last year. So, obviously, this is the sort of thing that is probably still quite raw with the family and the friends. You know, certainly, the the actual team itself as well uh, are probably still feeling a little bit bit rough about it. So, yeah, to have that brought up is yeah, it's pretty poor form. Then finally, oh, dear, he's uncomfortable again. He's... Well, he's not top of our list. We might almost have to recuse ourselves from this one for bias. And uh, yeah, James Harden, he's at it again. Guilty. What do you make of this all, though, Stewie, as we kind of segue into our NBA segment? Oh, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, what, what is it for fool me 12 times? Like, <laughs> honest, honestly, like we've seen this so many times over the last few years where he gets a little bit sad, things get a little bit hard, and then all of a sudden he just has a real hissy fit. And that's that. I mean, we saw him force his way out of Houston. We saw him force his way out of Brooklyn. If he forces his way out of Philadelphia, why would any team assume that he wouldn't just do the exact same thing when they don't win a championship straight away? Well, exactly. This is what, the third team in maybe, what, six years? So if he did find a new team... Not only would you be paying him a shitload of money in his mid-30s, but he'd probably be itching to fuck off after a couple of years anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's it's less than six years. I feel like he was only at Houston maybe four years ago. Maybe. It wouldn't and, surprise and me. Would, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, like, it's one thing to come out and say, oh, look, I think that, you know, this team's maybe not heading in the right direction or the direction I want to head in doesn't fit with my timeline, whatever it happens to be. That's one thing. But to call the president of the basketball team that you are under contract with a liar, and not once but twice, and then to say, I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of, like that goes so far beyond being a diva. It's just, it's not funny. It's ridiculous how he can say that and think that another team's going to be like, oh, sweet, let's get James Harden. Yeah, exactly. The Clippers, the Clippers are the only team that might want to take a gamble on him. And I don't think it will be a good decision, but they've got a new stadium. And honestly, unless you're playing 2K or you want to sell some jerseys, I can't understand why the hell you would possibly want that bloke on your team. And by the way, Houston, 2021. So yeah, it's more like three years. Just remarkable. Just horrible stuff. It is. And the thing is, like, yes, okay, he's still an elite scorer. He's still an elite passer. I mean, this this is a guy who's averaged double-figure assists now for probably, what, the last four or five years. He, he is one of the best offensive players in the league. That's well-documented. But it's also well-documented that, okay, yes, he gets a lot of steals, but he's not really the sharpest sort of defensive tool that you'll ever get. So you're kind of getting this one-sided player. I think the Clippers kind of makes a bit of sense. Um, if you look at, you know, putting him, I, I don't know what the rumors are in terms of the trade, but if you can somehow put him with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and they play more than five games in the season, well, this then is it. they certainly become, <laughs> yeah, they become dangerous. But I mean, none of those guys are playing more than 55 games a season right now. The one benefit of that team is you could hide his defensive deficiencies a little bit. You're absolutely right. There's no denying his skill or talent. I think he's three-time scoring leader. I think two-time assist leader. He's a fantastic player. He's a very good regular season player. And, of course, against Boston as well last season. 
they failed to close out at home and lost game six and seven. He was absolutely atrocious in both of them. We were up 3-2. They could have won in six at home. So, yeah, he's I just he's definitely guilty. This is unbelievable. I mean, it's well documented that Maury bent over backwards for him on many occasions in Houston, basically mollycoddled him. There's a rumour that he has a mural at his house of James Harden. Might need to paint over that one. But, yeah, mm. I just... I don't know why any team would possibly want this guy playing for them. I really don't. And the Clippers, maybe they don't either. So, look, even if there was a handshake agreement that was reneged on, that sort of shit goes on all the time. And by the way, isn't that maybe tampering anyway? So, okay, maybe he lied to you, but you were kind of possibly operating outside of the rules anyway. So I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. Yeah, I mean, like going back to the Daryl Morey thing as well, like this is a guy who completely gutted what was a really, really impressive Houston Rockets team to play small ball because it kind of fit more with what Harden was wanting to do, which I completely disagree with. I think him and Capella running pick and rolls was a a very potent offense and it kind of opened up a lot of the shooters that they had anyway. And so, yeah, he's gone in, yeah, bent over backwards, as you say, multiple times to try and make things work for Harden. And this is what he gets, an absolute slap in the bottom of the sack. And I'm not going to feel all that sorry for a guy that has over $300 million in NBA salary alone. And when you add on shoe sponsorships and other deals, it's probably close to half a billion dollars career. So yeah, Hmm. screw you, James Harden. Guilty. Guilty. Life sentence in Detroit. So, Nathan, we've got a couple of things to talk about in the NBA world, things that we haven't kind of got to just yet. One of the really exciting things is the extension of Greg Popovich now. He is extended for, well, I mean, realistically, he's extended for as long as he wants to go, let's be honest. Probably. What are your thoughts? Yeah, probably. Uh, He's been given five years. A lot of people didn't realize when that happened that, unfortunately, his wife has passed away. I don't know if he had someone at home if he would have taken that deal, he might have maybe done a one or two year deal and kind of faded off into the background after that. But given that he doesn't, as I understand it, have a significant other at the moment at home, it's it's more likely that he would keep going. And obviously with Wemby, why not? Uh, as a Spurs fan, I'm a massive pop fan. It's really funny. I did a complete 180. As a young teenager, I was pissed off when we hired him and I didn't like him in the early days, but now I absolutely love him. And uh you know, if, if there was a list of ex-Spurs or current Spurs to to meet that I'd like to meet, I'll tell you what, he'd be top three of that list for me, probably three or four of them. So, yeah, no, I'm a big fan. Obviously, there was the Hall of Fame, uh, a lot of Spurs of late. So Timmy was in 2021, Manu was last year, and then Pop and Tony were on the weekend, as was Becky Hammond, who coached for the Spurs and Pop gave her her first chance in the NBA, and Pau Gasol, as you mentioned before as well. So lots of Spurs in the Hall of Fame. I watched Pop's speech, which was good. I see that Spurs culture tweeted the most wins in the NBA since the 96-97 season, the top four teams. Do you want to have a crack? Well, I mean, obviously the Spurs. Yep, top of the list, 1,369. Since 96-97. There's a lot of teams that have been good and a lot of teams that have been really shit since that time. I feel like the Celtics would have to be up there. They're not, actually. I wouldn't be surprised if they were... Maybe like fifth, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Assuming this information is correct, of course. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's yeah. CBS Sports. It's CBS Sports. So I think we can we can rely on this as being accurate. 
I've got a weird... This is a really weird left field, but I feel like Dallas would be up there. I reckon they would too, but they're not top four. They're not... Gee whiz, wow. I mean, I guess in the in the late 90s, they Dallas were a bit shittier. Yeah, I mean, what other teams haven't been shit? Like, the, the Houston Rockets haven't had an extended period of shit. But again, like, pff, I don't feel like they would be... The Miami Heat have been consistently good. Yep, third on the list, 1,228. Yep, okay. The team second on the list is only one win above them, 1,229. Yeah, right. The team fourth on the list is 1,211. So those those next three teams after the Spurs are much together, actually. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Warriors would have to be up there. They've had that many good seasons. No, they're not. But I think that kind of late 90s, early 2000s probably hurts them. Yeah, one. I know the late nineties were terrible, but they had like seventy-three win team and a you know a couple of other sixties. You would have gee whiz, that is that is a really good question. Cause you can make a case that most teams have had ups and downs in the, those those sorts of years. I feel yeah. like you'll get one of these teams. I feel like you'll get one of these teams very soon. And the other one you might be surprised with. Well, I mean, it, like, is it as simple as the Lakers? Because they've obviously had all those yep. championships. Fourth, yeah. 1,211. Yeah, I mean, that should have been the obvious one. But then, yeah, like, what other teams have been good? I mean, like, the Nuggets have been good recently, but they were shit in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Ooh. Do you want me to put you out of your misery? It's not us, is it? It's the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I suppose the Jazz have all... Yeah, I would have eventually got there. I was sort of working through it alphabetically, but I got... I got <laughs> funnily enough, I got, to, I got to Sacramento, and then you stopped me and started talking about the Lakers, and I, I just forgot to keep going. There you go. Yeah, a bit of trivia without noticing. I think I think the punters might like that one, hopefully. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone's probably screaming at me going, fuck's sakes, dude, it's Utah. Oh, I, I don't know if I would have picked Utah. So, no, interesting list. No, well, I mean, they, they haven't really had many down years. You know, they had Malone was still there up until the late 90s. They had that good run with Deron Williams, Carlos Boozer, Mehmet Okor, Andre Kirilenko, Matt Harpering. Like, they had all of those right the way through. Gordon Hayward kind of came through in the, the mid-2010s and they've been pretty good for, you know, right up until pretty much last year. So, yeah, that makes sense. Now, the next one, Stewie, I know you've been dying to talk about this one for about a month <laughs> and we've nearly come close on a couple of recordings, but then in the end, for time pressures, we haven't. The Jalen Brown contract. Yeah, five years, $304 million. I'm sort of... I'm a little bit more on the fence about it than I was a while back, just purely because every time I think about it, all I can hear is you in my head going, yeah, but Stu, remember the contracts and the, the salary cap's going to be massive in a few years' time. So that's kind of what, what keeps me in check. Look, I hate it because of the fact that he's not even the best player on his team. He's a guy that has a terrible handle, but at the same time, he's an incredible scorer, He's developing as a defensive player in terms of a guy that can block shots and, you know, he gets a lot of steals, all that sort of stuff. It's clearly, you know, Jason Tatum's team, but Jalen Brown is just as important. And I, and I dare say in those finals against Golden State, he was probably every bit as important as Tatum was in, I guess, keeping them in the series as long as they did. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he he was quite good in those Entire playoffs, really, obviously, apart from some of the dribbling issues that he had. I guess the question that I ask, and look, Tatum himself will get a Supermax next season. To devote 66% of your cap to two guys is a lot, and I do understand. But the problem is, 
And as you mentioned, and, and as I've mentioned previously, the cap will go up about $12 million on average for the next five seasons. So it's going to go up by about $60 million in the next five seasons. The thing is, though, what's the alternative? I mean, they couldn't not re-sign him, could they? They were going to get cents on the dollar for a trade. Had they traded him for Damian Lillard, for example, then they would have got his huge contract. And he's way older than Jalen Brown is. So I kind of feel like they didn't have a choice. No, you're right. I mean, in terms of if you're looking at the timeline, obviously, of this team, Tatum and Brown, similar sort of ages. They've got a number of other guys in that similar sort of age bracket. In fact, I just, I'm just i actually going to bring up the Boston Celtics because I kind of want to have a look yeah, at good the idea. roster and, and see the ages because I think it will be, it'd be very interesting. So you've got Jalen Brown, 26. You have Jason Tatum, 25. You've got Robert Williams, 25. Uh, you've got Porzingis at 28. Malcolm Brogdon at 30, maybe a little bit older than that. Derek White at 29. So you've got that really, really strong core all between sort of 24, 25 and up to maybe 30 for for some of those other players. There's outliers, obviously, Blake Griffin, Al Horford up in their mid to high 30s. But I think for the most part, the, the really key parts of that entire team and that roster are kind of in that prime. Well, every team needs veterans too, don't they? But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think if I were the GM, the way I would probably play it is you... I mean, I think they're favourites currently with Vegas for the championship. Uh, they'd be right up there anyway. They'd be top four or five team. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say by any stretch of the imagination. Can, I, can, I would... we, can, can we, Nath, can we use a law term, seeing as we were speaking about law? I think they are probably the most talented team Ceteris Paribus. Yeah, well, it's it, you could make a strong case. You could make a very strong case. I think I, I probably run it back this season, maybe next season as well. And if you haven't won the championship in the next two years, then maybe you need to look at your cap and say, okay, we've got to keep Tatum and let's trade Brown for some young players and picks or something like that. I mean, obviously they would want to try and keep their window open as Tatum gets older and more into his prime. But I, yeah, I, I think if if... Maybe in two seasons' time, you reevaluate this one. Uh, look, it, it kind of makes more sense if you look at the roster and, and all of that. But yeah, it, as you mentioned, two thirds of the salary cap being used on that, it doesn't leave a whole lot left for other talented players. And, you know, with Paul Zingas's contract, it's not exactly small. So you've kind of got a lot of money. I mean, look, they're probably conceding that they're going to be well over the luxury tax for a while now. But you know, if it wins championships, then they'll pay it, I guess. Well, that's right. And then finally, so Jalen Brown's total contract is the highest in history. Now, as the cap goes up and as more guys get super maxes, that record is just going to be broken pretty much on a yearly basis for the next five years. But $462 million over five years is a shitload of money. But the annual extension has been broken by AD who has a $94 million contract for one season. That's more than a million dollars a game. We also know he doesn't play every game too. Yeah, it's way more than a million dollars a game when you factor in that he'll probably miss most. Yeah, it's almost two a game. (laughs) Yeah, if if you look at the last three seasons, he's played in 132 of 246 games. That's around about 53.7% of the games. Well, there you go. It is nearly two mil a game. Incredible. Yeah. And the other thing to remember as well is that he's the wrong side of 30. It's it's a phrase I love because, you know, after 30, you do start to slowly decline. Well, most people do anyway. LeBron's kind of doing it a little bit more slowly than others. But what I actually wonder, Nathan, I'm going to put this out there to you. 
Does this extension tell you that LeBron's time in LA is nearly done? Well, this is this is interesting, isn't it? Because I think this is another situation of what was the alternative. Now, I've heard Bill Simmons talk about them chasing Embiid. If they could have traded AD and pieces for Embiid, I think that would have been a really canny move. But I think there's one or two last rolls of the dice with LeBron in LA, and he'll probably piss off to wherever Bronny gets drafted in a couple of seasons, assuming Bronny is okay after his recent cardiac arrest. Well, that obviously throws a big spanner in the works. But yeah, just it's a big assumption. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean it's it's a three year hundred and eighty six million US, which is on average sixty two million a year, and we know those things are generally loaded towards the back end. So yeah, this is just it's it's a scary number for a guy who is made of glass. And you know, realistically, like okay, the numbers are okay, but he hasn't had anywhere near the same level of dominance that he had in the bubble. Yeah, you know, he was incredible in that bubble season, and I think since then, really. I don't know. He just feels like he's kind of declined. He's not anywhere near as dominant on a regular basis. You know, guys like Jokic and, and a few other guys have kind of gone past him in that regard. It just kind of feels like he'll have one good game out of every two or three that he plays where he looks like he could be that dominant guy. And then he'll just recede back to, you know, the next game he might go four of 14 and have maybe like 15 and six. So I don't know. I just... I just think it's way too much money. And yes, what is the alternative? I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. It just seems like too much for me. I guess two thoughts there for me. No, I agree. I I always worry about guys that are made of glass. I mean, unlike some other guys, at least he plays D and he plays very good D. I mean, when he's on, he's one of the best big men in the league. But is he on often enough to be paying him nearly $100 million a season? That's the question. I guess they got Austin Reeves on a bargain. Maybe they can afford to pay a little bit more for AD on that basis. But the other thing, of course, is that school of thought that the Lakers don't win that bubble championship if it weren't for COVID. Because, of course, there was that big break before the bubble. There was what? They, there was nearly two months off or something. And the basically, my understanding is everyone was saying AD wouldn't have lasted through. On the flip side of that, though, in my opinion, I actually thought... Now, I know some people are saying Minnesota did. But no, I thought the Lakers played Denver the best. It's weird to say that when they swept, but all the games were really close. And I thought the Lakers played Denver the best. And I thought probably the Lakers will be thinking heading into this season, we can win this. So I think the Lakers will fancy themselves to to have a red hot crack this season. But AD's health and LeBron's health too, let's face it, are going to be pretty key. The thing is like, I mean, looking at the numbers, like the numbers don't really necessarily back up what I've I've just sort of put out there, like nearly 26 and 12 and a half with two blocks a game last season. So like his numbers are good. But you know, if you if you're getting, I don't know. Well, let's look at the last few seasons. He played 56 games last season, 40 the season before, 36 the season before that, 62, 56, and then up to a couple of 75s. So the last five seasons, he hasn't got past 62 games. It's yeah, I don't know. It just worries me. Yeah, no, me too. Absolutely. Now we've done a lot of naughty and nice lately, Stewie. I don't know if we need to deal with the Liz Cambage thing much. Clearly, she's yeah. full of shit. There's more and more video has come out. She said things like there were no refs, there were two refs there. So there's a number of comments that she made have been dispelled. I think she lives in a bit of a fantasy world where she can do no wrong and it's always everyone else's fault. So, yeah. And Nigeria don't want her either, so there you go. <laughs> well, the, the thing yeah. is they probably do because she's bloody good, but obviously Nigeria was the team <laughs> where it all kind of went to shit. 
Funnily enough, one of the Nigerian players on Twitter basically disputed her claims. So, yeah, you're right. There's no love loss there. Well, you, you can't have her in that side because if she plays, I guarantee at least half of them, probably most of the team, would walk off and they won't play. Now, there is some more basketball, Stewie. We'll probably get to it another time. Obviously, the FIBA World Cup's not too far around the corner. The Aussies looked very good in the warm-up against Venezuela, had a bit of a scare against Brazil. I think they're ranked about 11th in the world, if I'm not mistaken. So there's no shame losing to Brazil, but we would have expected to win that one. Had a bit of a bounce back today against South Sudan. I look forward to watching that game. I haven't watched that one yet because it was on while I was still working. I saw that Canada defeated Germany by one point in overtime, but Jamal Murray has been ruled out. So they would have had very high hopes. I still think they have a very good team without him. But uh, obviously, that's a massive blow for the Canadian team. Uh, a shout out to the Boomers for changing their game in order to not clash with the Matildas game too, by the way. They mo- they brought that one forward early. Now, I know a few people were pissed off about that because 5.30 starts can be very difficult to get to. But given, you know, it's not every day the Matildas are playing in a semi-final, so... Yeah, um, slight uh, worry, obviously, for the Aussies. Jock Landau went down with a, a pretty nasty ankle roll in, I think it was the first quarter of that game against South Sudan. But uh, at the time, I think it was maybe, what, 11-4 to South Sudan, and then we went on a 30-2 to run, absolutely played dominant basketball for about a quarter. Yeah, the Landau one's a worry, isn't it? I know some people thought Wraith was on the bubble. I never thought Wraith should have been on the bubble, even if Landau was healthy. I definitely would have had both of those guys playing. There's a lot of really good bigs in international basketball at the moment, so I would definitely have them. But, hey, if if Landau's in trouble, then that's not good. I haven't watched enough of it to really make a a real educated call on this, but I actually, from what I saw today, Dyson Daniels would be the one that I'd put on the bubble. Yeah, there have been a few people saying that, actually, which is interesting. Yeah, I think his defense, but yeah, I I feel like we need some scoring punch. I I know the other discussion is White versus Cooks. I've always had White over Cooks. I think he's a better player. I think he's more athletic. I think he's younger. And if you think about the long game and and the long-term boomers culture, so there's a number of reasons why I would have White over Cooks. They're both excellent players and I'd be happy with either of them. But if it is between those two, I would definitely pick White. I don't know if you agree on that one. Yeah, probably. Slightly better. Well, he's a better shooter from outside as well. As I say, I think for me, I look at Daniels and say, right, you've got Jalen Green, you've got Matisse Thibel, you've got Dante Exum, you've got a number of guys that kind of do that long wingspan, good solid defense. All three of them are better shooters than than Daniels right now. Daniels will have his time, but I, I just don't know if this is maybe it right now. I, I think he's the guy I'd probably look at. But anyway, whoever misses out is going to feel... Uh, pretty pretty robbed, let's be honest. No, I think you made some compelling arguments there. I, I would I wouldn't have much of a problem if Daniels was the guy. To, I, I like Golding's ability to score, and I think you might need that little microwave off the bench. So even if there might be games where he doesn't even play, but I think that insurance policy for a scorer, I do feel like we're maybe a bit too defensive, and we are lacking in scoring punch a bit. So that's why I would have Golding. So yeah, look, I wouldn't I wouldn't be disappointed if it did end up being Daniels. Obviously, super young, and he will have another chance maybe as soon as next year at the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. He, as I said, he'll have his time. He's still, yeah, so young and so raw. But I think his skill set kind of crosses over a little bit too much with multiple other guys in the team right now. So, yeah, that's that's just my thoughts. Really looking forward to Chris Appleby's uh, documentary as well about basketball here in Australia that'll be on Channel 9 Gem, if I'm not mistaken. Get on the old uh, catch-up apps to watch that one. That's what I'll be doing. So, yeah, looking forward to that one too. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? 
Well, the bloody hell this week takes us to the UCI Cycling World Championships in Glasgow from last week and an incident involving Spanish paracyclist Ricardo Ten. Now, this guy is an absolute gun. He was crowned world champion in three different events and was presented with his gold medals along with a beautiful watch from the sponsor Tiso. The only problem is that Ten's arms were amputated above the wrist. Oh, dear. Uh, it gets worse, too. I don't know if you have these details. I'll let you finish so then I'll jump in. Well, I probably don't actually, because all I really was going to say is that the, the real thankful thing for me is that he has an incredible sense of humor. He's made videos of him wearing one of the watches on his upper arm. And yeah, it's it just, it reminds me of uh, something we spoke about a while back on Madrid's women race, like giving the winner kitchen appliances. It's just, it's, oh, it's yeah. as inappropriate as that. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Not good. No, but he actually won three separate events. And after they'd given him a watch the first time, instead of maybe thinking about, oh, maybe we'll put on a chain and put it around his neck or something, they gave it to him again. So he actually won two Tissot watches. Yes. <laughs> so in a video that's now been viewed by more than a million people, if I'm not mistaken, he said, I'm very happy to have won two Tissots, one for each arm, but above all, for what it means for Paralympic cycling, total inclusion of sport at the highest level. So as you say, Great sense of humor. Seems like a really interesting and and cool guy. And yeah, maybe uh, maybe think that one through a little bit more. The UCI World Championships have definitely been added to the naughty list. Indeed. So to Tiso and the UCI Championships in Glasgow, all I can say is, what do you like, you daft bastards? Bloody hell. Bloody hell. So with halfback flank round in the books and emergency sub round ahead of us, we thought it's probably time to talk about the footy again, isn't it, Shui? Yeah, she's been a while, hasn't it? You missed my uh, fake round names there. I was just thinking there was ruck round recently, and I thought, oh, well, why can't emergency sub have a round and halfback flank? And Oh, yeah. so, sorry, mate. It's uh, it's getting very late in Brisbane. It went straight over my head, that one. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. But we do have another missed naughty and nice. Now, this one should have actually been on our episode. I, I did have it on the shortlist and then completely forgot about it. Took Miller's... Uh, well, the high tackle that became a low blow, wasn't it? The squirrel grip on Dane Zorko. Horrid stuff. Yeah, the tackle tackle. The tackle tackle, that's right. <laughs> I think we've got a title. I think we do. Uh, it's it's disgusting. How, like, how does that not go to the match review panel? Well, that's right. So not as only Miller on the naughty list, but the match review panel is too. And Zorko said to the umpire a few minutes after it happened, I want that reported. Now... The two of them do have a history. They've got into it at a number of different Q clashes over the last few years. So they do have bad blood between them. But, geez, to first off not be reported, as you say, and then to only get a week, that's about as bad as it gets, honestly. I can't believe he only got a week. It's just disgusting. I, it Miller is lowered in my estimations. Look, sometimes your hand can slip and bad shit can happen, but I've watched the video a number of times. There is some definite intent there. And, well, hey, if you're going for a man's junk, poor form. It's it's plain and simple. We've talked about this for quite a while now. The head is sacred. <laughs> Hardball gets, Stewie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the jokes oh, write themselves. No, yeah. but, <laughs> they, they do. They do. But, yeah, I mean, it's... It's disgusting. That started, the whole tackle started with his hand on his crotch. 
Like you just you can't do that. It's just not on. Like well, it's... yeah. Ugh. One one arm around the neck and the other on his crotch. And Zorko actually said, "I am still Bruce down there." And I've watched the footage a few times, and I saw the footy classified segment and everything. I don't. I'm not surprised. It probably is Bruce. It would have fucking hurt. It's terrible. So one of the quotes I got here was. Despite being cleared by the match review officer, the league investigation found enough evidence to charge Miller with conduct unbecoming, and he won't be coming for a while. And he accepted a one game. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it had to be said. It was low hanging fruit, much like Dane Zorko's plums. <laughs> oh, it really is the end of the episode. Uh, with conduct yeah. unbecoming, and he accepted a one game ban, despite the Suns claiming his reputation has been tarnished. So Took Miller said, or Took, 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 anyway, it was not my intention to harm Dane, and if that occurred from my actions, I would like to apologise to him. Bullshit. Definite intent, in my opinion. Do it, do it then. Yeah. Well, And how's this? And so Wayne Campbell quoted, oh, he's obviously a part of the Gold Coast brass these days. We accept the AFL's decision, but as a club, we are extremely disappointed in the outcome. Took is the captain of our football club and has built a reputation as a fair and strong leader who is admired by the entire AFL community. He is one of the most highly respected players in the competition and it's disappointing his integrity and character has been tarnished during his process. He's tarnished his own fucking character by grabbing a bloke's balls and squeezing. For Christ's sake, Wayne Campbell. was, Was admired by the AFL. Yeah. Of all the battles to fight... Down your tools on this one, pun intended again. <laughs> oh, goodness me. We should move on. <laughs> we really should. So where do we go? I think we'll we'll talk about, again, it's getting a bit late, so we'll probably race through this segment and finals are around the corner, so we'll definitely be a little bit more heavily AFL over the next month or so, no doubt. But we'll talk about the retirements. There's no doubt a few more to come through in the next week or two. And we'll actually, we'll tally up all the games played and premierships won and all Australians and all that sort of stuff. Cause the stats are going to be nuts. Some very, very good long servants of the game are calling it quits. Where do you want to go though, Shuey? I, I guess uh, the Eagles have been accused of tanking. I don't know if you want to maybe speak to that one first as an Eagles fan who nearly saw his team beat Essendon, but went down in the end 73, 72 by not placing an extra yeah. defender behind the ball. Thank Christ for that, seriously. <laughs> Look, there's there's no two ways about it. it. It absolutely would be tanking, and they can say what they want. As soon as you get a, a ball up from that centre, like after we kick the goal, there's the centre bounce, there's a secondary ball up. As you mentioned, you put a, another player behind, you probably put more than one player behind the ball. You clog up that back 50 just in case, and that's how you kind of kill the rest of the clock. But we instead just went, ah, fuck it. We'll just go 6-6-6 six, six, six and see what happens. Oh, whoops, it went over the back and they kicked a goal. Ah, oh, well, what a shame. <laughs> yeah, look, it's going to happen. Is it time for an AFL lottery, much like the NBA? You could certainly make a case for it, yeah. I mean, the, the only problem, I guess, with that is that the teams that are at the bottom, and like if you look at the NBA, you know, those teams are making squillions of dollars. Even the shit teams are, are probably still making a decent amount of money, whereas some of these teams at the bottom of the ladder who have been struggling for a while financially maybe aren't quite as strong. West Coast would be an exception because we pretty much have had a license to print money over here for that long. Well, the richest club in but, the competition, yeah. Yeah, I, I just think, yeah. But the thing is, like, if you left, say, North Melbourne or the Gold Coast Suns, at the bottom for the rest of time because they miss out on these number one draft picks. I mean, look, yes, they're still going to get something pretty close to the the top, but 
Yeah, I just, I don't know. Certain teams maybe can't go through that length of being completely shit house. And I'm amazed the Gold Coast Suns are still going, if I'm honest. But yeah, you just, I don't know. I think you just need ups and downs from these teams. You need teams to be shit from time to time and teams to be better as time goes on. It's looking like Dimmer's heading to the Gold Coast Suns. That's not official yet. Maybe we'll sit on that one. And they do have a young, a good young midfield and a very good young forward too in King. So look, they could be a good team. They've still never made the finals and they've still never finished above 12th, if I'm not mistaken. So as you say, it's, it's they're probably on life support in some ways, but there is some help coming. Let's maybe look at the last two rounds. Collingwood-Brisbane isn't an eight-point game because Collingwood are two games clear on top. But, geez, it's a mighty important one, particularly for Brisbane. If they can win that one, they probably wrap up second place. And then there are a couple of eight-point games. So GWS and Essendon are both have finals aspirations. St Kilda-Geelong and Adelaide-Sydney. All six of those teams have finals aspirations. I think it could be a bumper round of footy, and there might be an upset or two, too. I want to go back to the start. I actually disagree with you about the Collingwood-Brisbane one. I think that is an eight-point game because if Collingwood win, then you look at the last game of the round, Fremantle versus Port Adelaide. Okay, yes, it's being played over in Perth, but you'd like Port to win that based on last week anyway. They maybe have slightly turned the corner. And if Port Adelaide win and Brisbane lose, then they go above them and there's potentially sort of home field finals that are up for up for play, I guess, with those sorts of games. So it's not directly an eight-point game, but I think indirectly it is. Oh, yeah. It's got massive implications. I guess it's not that traditional eight-point swing, but yeah, massive, massive implications. By the way, I don't think there's any guarantee Port come here and win. A Freo or a patchy form, you know, you just don't know which Freo will turn up. I mean, if the right Freo turn up, that could be a tricky game for Port. Oh, it could be. Absolutely. It's it's not a guarantee, but I'd certainly, I would tip Port if I had to, if I was doing tipping this season. But, um, but yeah, some of, like some of the other ones, yeah, the, the GWS Essendon game is a massive game in terms of teams wanting to try and get into that eighth spot. Um, yeah, you've certainly mentioned St Kilda versus Geelong is huge. It, it pretty much is Geelong playing for their season. If they lose that, they're pretty much done. And St Kilda would pretty much wrap up a final spot. So there's there's that. Couple of reflections there. Draper comes in for Essendon, so that's a big in for them. And then St Kilda Geelong. I mean, St Kilda can still finish fifth, I think. So that's a massive game for both teams, as you say. Geelong wanting to make the finals, and St Kilda wanting a home final and a, a fifth finish. Yeah, I mean, look, Carlton probably one of the form side, well, probably the form side of the comp right now, I guess. With was it seven or eight in a row they've won? So. You know, the likelihood of St Kilda passing them is probably fairly slim, but you just never know. You never know. I mean, I suppose if you look at Carlton, they've got, what, Gold Coast this round and then the final round of the season, they've got GWS who might be out of the finals by then. So it's unlikely that St Kilda do pass them, but you just never know in this world. And then let's look at that final round. So, again, I guess Sydney-Melbourne isn't an eight-point game per se, but massive finals implications. You've already talked about Carlton GWS. Essendon Collingwood, again, Collingwood probably won't have much to play for, but Essendon will. Brisbane St Kilda, Geelong Bulldogs, even Port Richmond could be interesting. So, yeah. Lots to play for. And the thing is, mate, even Port Adelaide and Richmond, Richmond are out of the finals, but they've got a couple of players who are on their way out in, you know, Trent Cochin, Jack Rewall. So, you know, these guys want to put on a show in their final game. Okay, yes, it's in Adelaide. You would expect Port to win that, but... Yeah, those sorts of games, they're still going to be fun. There's still going to be something to play for. 
And the ladder from fifth all the way down to 12th is quite incredible, really. Carlton on 50, St Kilda 48, Sydney 46, the Dogs Essendon and GWS all on 44, Geelong 42 and Adelaide 40. So, mm. yeah, exciting times. I guess I've got to ask that question we so often ask, Joey. Who can actually win it all? That's a good question. Can anyone? Like I know. Can, that's what I know. <laughs> this, this is the, the crazy thing. Like, you asked me this, I don't know how long ago it was, and I think I had maybe two or three teams that I felt like could win it. Now it's like the form sides of the comp are Carlton and Sydney. No one else is showing any consistency at all. Like, you know, Collingwood looked great against Geelong, but they lost to Hawthorne the week before. Brisbane got belted by the Suns and nearly lost to the Crows at home. Port had four losses in a row before they beat GWS. Melbourne were looking good, but then you look at their four in a row before they lost to Carlton. They they beat, what, North Melbourne, Richmond, and Adelaide, who are all outside the top eight. The Dogs lost to Hawthorne. So it's like it felt like a two-horse, maybe a three-horse race a while ago. Now it's more a question of, you know, who do you believe in? And yeah, well, that's... Based it, on that, I mean... It's going to be injuries and form, but conceivably a team from eighth could actually win it. And I know that seems crazy, but if that team was the Bulldogs or Geelong and the schedule broke for them right and they never had to leave Victoria, they could conceivably make a grand final. So I think just about anyone, I'm not saying they will, and they certainly wouldn't be favourites, but I think just about anyone that makes the final eight could win. I agree. Yeah, and the thing is that you've got teams like you know Collingwood, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, Melbourne have all got a pretty decent amount of final experience. The Swans have got a lot of young players, but they've got some older guys who have been in the finals before. Carlton and St Kilda maybe don't have the same sort of level, so maybe you don't sort of believe in them as much. And then, as you say, the the Dogs, the Cats, one of Essendon and GWS could still make it. You just don't know. Like there's, I I think there's some teams that have maybe peaked a little bit too early. And but yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you if you said who's going to win it, yeah, you pretty much put all of those teams on a wall and throw a dart and whoever it lands in, that's your team. And as you say, the Swans are young, but they made the grand final last year. So even the young players have that big stage and obviously they faulted on the big stage, but they'll be all the better for it. So look, I I don't really give my, I don't even guarantee we'll make it. Adelaide and Melbourne are two pretty tough matches. We play in Adelaide pretty well. I gave that stat of of winning streaks in Adelaide a few weeks ago as well. But yeah, I I look, I think we could scare a team. I, I don't think, well, anyway, like I say, I guess any team with injury luck and form at the right time, maybe any team in the eight can win. We'll see how the next two weeks unfold, but it is getting exciting. And look, you and I have both said that at different times of this season, our interest has maybe waned a bit. I'll be honest, this is the least AFL I've watched in the whole time we've been doing the podcast. It's still three games a week minimum, so I'm not watching nothing. But, uh, yeah, I, I will definitely be ramping up my viewing for the next, well, six-odd weeks. Hey, exciting times. Absolutely. Nath, just quickly before we wrap up, we've talked a lot. There's been a lot of big things, a lot of lot of really exciting stuff. Just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on something. So the Geelong-Collingwood game over the weekend, Brad Close takes a mark, hand passes to Jeremy Cameron, who's about a metre and a half over the boundary line, who takes three steps in and snaps a goal. What the fuck is going on with the umpiring? Oh, I know, right? And there's all this talk of VAR. There was the Melbourne one. We didn't talk about the Petrarca goal that wasn't as well. And I'm not convinced that was touched. I, I understand, like, I, I'm I'm kind of okay with that one. But I had to, I, we were watching the Dockers match, obviously, because my partner's a, well, the Derby. We are watching the Derby because my partner's a Dockers fan and the Dockers are my second team. But when I, I was keeping an eye on that, 
Carlton Melbourne game. And when I saw the score, I was like, fuck, I'm chucking this on. So I watched the last five minutes or so. It was such a bizarre finish. Carlton had three insufficient intent, intentional out of bounds, basically, that were all legit, in my opinion, yet still won. Yeah, you're right. There's been some, uh, uh, with the soccer on, a lot of people have, have been saying how much better the VAR is. Now, of course, in the other semi final, there was that howler. So the VAR hasn't been perfect either. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't know how the hell they missed that one. That absolutely shouldn't have been a goal. You could argue that two of Jez's seven goals on the weekend were probably illegitimate. And that was such a funny game, wasn't it? Because didn't I think Geelong had, what, 38 in the first quarter? And then after that, they only scored, doubled that for the rest of the match. It's a funny old game, that one, with all their Collingwood outs as well. Big win by the Pies. Yeah, I mean, not, maybe not. It wasn't quite as bad. They got to 101, so they they did actually break the ton. But oh, that's um, right, they did too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, they certainly like they dominated the the first quarter. Probably outplayed Collingwood slightly in the fourth quarter. But as you say, there's a couple of goals in there. I, I think the one that was marked on the boundary line by Cameron, I think that one was actually in, um, or certainly on the line, if anything. But yeah, I mean, the, the close one was absolutely ridiculous. And going back to what you're saying about the Petrarca goal, I have said it before and I will say it again, get rid of umpire's call. It, the umpire's asking for someone to check it. It means they don't have a fucking clue if what they've said is correct. So just get rid of these soft calls and umpire's calls. If you've got a third umpire, let them make the decision from start to finish. That's my thoughts. And as we always say, you just hope that this doesn't come to haunt a team come finals time. It would be such a shame if a match was ended in controversy because of a bad decision. All right, sure, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, look, it's with a heavy heart that the Matildas bow out of the World Cup and we all turn our attention to barricade for Spain in the hope that England don't win anything. But, look, it's been an incredible World Cup. I think it's probably about time, though, that we start ramping up our AFL watching. The finals are a couple of weeks away, and it is time to get busy. No doubt I'll be watching a lot of basketball and AFL the next month or so, obviously with the FIBA World Cup, too. Very exciting times. Look forward to recording with you in person. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.